0: conversations about everything from violin making to hiking, Hear Me Now is driven by the curiosity of young people in Ogden, Utah. This podcast is a production of KUER in partnership with Nurture the Creative Mind. We've handed over the microphone to local teens so they can interview someone about a topic they care about. Let's dive in.
1: My name is Jackson Feldbauer, an 18-year-old college student interested in all things outdoors. I am just getting into car camping and I wanted to talk with someone who knows all about camping and safety when traveling off the grid. Dr. Dan Richman is an assistant professor of outdoor adventure parks and recreation at Salt Lake Community College. He is also an instructor for the National Outdoor Leadership School, also known as Knowles, based out of Lander, Wyoming. I wanted to talk to him about his wild adventures in the outdoor recreation field.
0: I took a Knolls course, an outdoor educator course in Alaska, where we did two weeks of backpacking in the Wrangell St. Elias wilderness. We paddled all the way across the Prince William Sound. So that kind of got me hooked and thought that I could maybe make this a part-time career. And so then the next summer in 2010, I became a Knowles instructor, I took their, their instructor course in Lander. And then for, I guess the last 12 years or so, I've been mostly working summers, working a course or two every year. So I was able to spend my summers in Wyoming and Alaska and uh, a bunch of other really cool places. And then during that time, I got my MBA at University of Oregon, and then I realized I didn't want to go back to just having two weeks of vacation. So I (laughs) got my PhD in Parks, Recreation, and Tourism focused on outdoor rec. Oh, wow. So I did my PhD at the University of Utah. The way that Knowles does their courses, they're usually 30 day courses. So you start at the branch, get driven to a trailhead, and then you're out for thirty days.
1: Okay, that that's pretty crazy, especially like a whole month. That's a long time out there. I'm sure you have a bunch of good memories.
0: Yeah. You know, I think it's really cool to see the students that I work with, and I've kind of specialized in working with sixteen and seventeen year olds from a variety of backgrounds, some who have never gone camping before, and they get thrown into the deep end, if you will. So the first week is usually pretty, pretty rough. You know, students are struggling with going to the bathroom outside, cooking all their own meals, <laughs> lots of really hard physical labor because, you know, we're working every day, moving across the train. But then it's really cool by the week two or three, when you're in the middle, like you're far enough away from the beginning of the course to know that, well, I've made it this far. And you're also far enough away from the course being over. That you're just used to living outdoors.
1: When you're on these trips, do you pick up each day and go somewhere and keep moving on? Or will you stay at a place for a little bit?
0: Yeah, a little bit of both. Uh, kind of depends on the route. There can be up to 70 courses in the winds. And the idea is that we never run into anybody else. So there's this big logistical uh, magic show that kind of happens behind the scenes with all the permitting and then the route planning. And they've been doing it now for 50 plus years. So a lot of the routes are pretty set.
1: What are some crazy stories that you've had from doing Knolls? We travel about 100 to
0: 130 miles over the course of a month. Where, If you break it down by day, that's not too bad. But sometimes the terrain can be really tricky and the weather. You know, one thing that I'm thinking of is we thought we had about a three hour hike ahead of us to get from one of our camps up through this canyon to this alpine lake. But what happened was, is it was a really heavy rain year, so we had to keep changing our route throughout the day, and we found ourselves in this really wet, marshy area.
1: Oh man! Uh,
0: eight hours later, meaning that there was no real place to camp, <laughs> so our only option was to really to keep going. We started hiking at maybe ten in the morning, and we didn't get to our campsite till just after midnight. Oh wow! So we were hiking in the dark uh it was snowing yeah we had to stop several times along the way and dig into our bags get some food and then we were cooking dinner next to this lake in a heavy snowstorm at twelve thirty in the morning
1: oh my gosh
0: but that's the kind of thing that's pretty common on a knolls course Um, it's also super memorable
1: what are some of your wildlife experiences
0: you know, when when I worked in Alaska, we spent a lot of time doing bear protocol, and usually that means making a lot of noise and making sure you stay together uh, to avoid any kind of encounters because you don't want to get close to them at all. So, but I would say the strangest encounter with wildlife I've seen was maybe my third year, just on a regular hike, and we saw a a moose fighting a coyote. Oh, so it was no. a lone coyote that was trying to take down this giant moose. And so the moose was rearing up on its hind legs, trying to stomp the, the coyote. And so they're just playing this huge game of cat and mouse. There was really only one direction this whole thing could go. So we ended up following these two as they fought for about three miles. <laughs> and And it wow. was muddy enough. We could see their tracks and we could see where the skirmishes got bad. I don't know how it ended, but I've never seen anything like that on a course before or since. Yeah,
1: That's pretty scary. Moose are like pretty scary animals. (laughs) How do you guys communicate? Like if you wanted to stay seeing where everything else? Yeah. So that's
0: changing all the time now. So when I first started 12 years ago, we tried to minimize the contact we had with other groups and even with the branch. Now, for safety reasons, we do carry a satellite phone. In case of medical emergencies, we also have to deal with wildfires there. So if wildfire season is in full effect, then we we call a hotline every day to see what the route looks like and see what our our burn restrictions might be
1: If like if we can have fires or not. What are some of the most essential things to pack?
0: So when we go out, you know, we carry a combination of personal gear and group gear. And, um, you know, we're kind of separated in tent groups or cook groups or a combination of the two. And so we'll carry all of our cooking gear, lightweight stoves and tents that we all share, as well as bear protection. Usually we carry out at Knolls. We use these electrified bear fences in the Rocky Mountains uh, to protect our food at night. And then our students, you know, you're bringing several different layers of clothes, you're preparing for, you know, your day hikes, you're preparing for rain and colder weather, so you'll have several different layers. And then you're just really minimizing all the other stuff that you're carrying because it's just extra weight, right? So we're not carrying, you're generally wearing the same clothes every day for a month, you know, Um, with some exceptions, you can change out, you know, you bring a few pairs of underwear and... You try to plan in a couple laundry days along the way where you wash your clothes um, to kind of work around that. Maybe you'll bring a book, you know, you got your headlamp and your knife. And then one of the essential pieces of gear that I bring is my ukulele. So nice and have a little bit of music out there. And usually there's one or two other students on the course that can play a little bit, which is fun. And then some fishing gear. So yeah, we have, we carry somewhere between 40 and 60 pounds on average, on our backs. If it's a longer ration period, which means the days before you get re-rationed, you can be up to 12 days of food. And that's usually around two to two and a half pounds per person. So yeah, your your pack weight can get up there to 75 pounds on on a re-ration day. Usually re-ration days, we'll try to just eat a bunch of food so we don't have to carry
1: yeah. it. Do you ever do anything like extreme to like minimize weight? I was talking with my grandpa, he used to backpack and like, he had a friend who would just take the toothbrush head.
0: I'm not an extreme lightweight person, to be quite honest. But they do run lightweight courses where, yeah, they'll cut their toothbrush in half. They'll take smaller cooking setups. So they're really just eating kind of bland, boil and go kind of meals. But I kind of actually like bringing real food. I mean, we don't bring really heavy stuff out there. It's mostly, you know... Dry goods, but we bring pasta. We make pizza. I'm okay bringing the extra weight if it means I'm going to eat good and be comfortable. I try to leave enough space in my pack because at some point, there are students they may have injuries who or who are struggling, and I just have to carry extra weight.
1: So, working in the outdoor field, what's like some of the best parts and the hardest parts? So,
0: I would say the instability is probably going to be the toughest thing for people that are trying to make it a career. It's very seasonal. For Knowles, uh, there's a lot of work in the summer. There's a little bit of work in the shoulder seasons and then a little bit more during the winter for winter courses. So you'll see a lot of folks that work full time outdoors doing maybe jumping from job to job or maybe they'll have an in-town job for a few months. But for me, since I teach during the year at the community college, you know, I kind of have a stable, almost regular life during nine months of the year. And then I get to play a little bit during the summer. And you know that's something that the school is trying to figure out, and a lot of employers are trying to figure out because then it's hard to keep people.
1: How do you make a sustainable lifestyle? Like, is there even a way to make it fully sustainable? I
0: think this is something that the outdoor education companies like Knowles and Outward Bound continue to struggle with. There are a few people that have made it to seven hundred weeks in the field, you know, wow, uh, which is pretty amazing. But really, they are the exception, not the rule. And then there's only so much work for people that want to work full-time during the year, and full-time for them is considered 26 out of 52 weeks. And you can make a living doing that to some degree. It's really physical work. So if you get hurt, you can't work. So I think the people that have made it sustainable and have stayed working with the company for a long time have found the right mix of field work, because that's the fun stuff, getting out and taking these long trips or doing rock climbing or mountaineering, but then mixing that with some kind of in-town work, meaning that maybe you work at the branch or you're a program supervisor or you work 10 months in the marketing office and you spend two months in the field. So I think that's what the transition generally looks like for people after a few years of working a lot of time in the field is that they'll eventually transition into doing the majority of their year doing in-town work.
1: What would be your dream job or trip if Knowles is your dream job?
0: Um, I'd say that on my bucket list we have a branch that's down in Patagonia, and you actually never go back to um, the branch. You never go back to civilization at all. So you're moving from mountaineering to kayaking to backpacking, all over the course of 80 days. Wow! Wild wild environment down there in Patagonia. So they have pretty crazy weather in the summer. I've had friends who have worked those courses or have taken them as students and it just sounds like a pretty amazing immersive experience where you're just out there really on a, a super long expedition. That would be my bucket list one
1: for sure. Thank you so much uh for doing this interview. It was super fun.
0: Yeah, thanks for letting me be part of the experiment. It's been fun. This podcast is a production of KUER in collaboration with Nurture the Creative Mind in Ogden, Utah. Nurture the Creative Mind is led by Amir Jackson. Our Hear Me Now team for this season included Izzy Felix, Ethan Wintle, Christian Rogers, and Jackson Feldbauer. Course instruction and editing by Tricia Bobita and Joel Meyer of Podcast Mountain. Local support for the Hear Me Now podcast was generously provided by George and Mary Hall and the Emma Eccles-Jones Foundation. Thanks for listening.